0: We I'm Therese Couture, and this is the Embodied Black Girl Podcast, a podcast about decolonizing our imagination, envisioning a new earth, and getting free together. Welcome back to the podcast, or if this is your first time, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. And before we dive into today's episode, I have two things to share. The first one is thank you, thank you, thank you to each and every person who took the time to write a written review, to share your love and resonance for the podcast. My heart is just beaming with so much gratitude and i just look forward to having conversations that where we can as i say spiral deeper the second announcement is that embodied solidarity which is my 8 week communal exploration for white folks to uproot white supremacy and stand on the side of liberation justice and equity for all is open for enrollment through this weekend only. So it closes this weekend and it's really actually related to the conversation that you're going to be listening to with Lisa. And um, I just think, although that that I host and I hold space for black women and for women of color, and I think those spaces are so, so, so important, I am also very aware of the fact that we all have to interact and be together at certain points. And so many of the Black folks and women of color that I work with, a lot of their complaints are, of course, dealing with white folks. And this is me doing my part in terms of creating a more safe environment for us all. And so if you are a white person listening to this, I invite you to join us because we're going to be doing the work of uprooting white supremacy and having it show up in the way that you live and in the way that you lead. So all the information is over at embodiedsolidarity.org and the link will also be in the show notes. So, I'm thrilled to be sharing this conversation with you with Lisa Renee Hall today. And this conversation was actually recorded last year. And it's really interesting when you have conversations that are recorded, it's been a while to see if the conversation stands the test of time. And, woo! Yes, this one does. There are so many gems in this conversation. I can't recommend it enough. Lisa is so brilliant and giving and just, I just loved every moment of this conversation and listening back to it myself, I was like, oh, oh, ah. Oh, thank you for those reminders. So if you don't know Lisa, Lisa Renee Hall is an anti-bias facilitator and mental wellness advocate who has helped over 65,000 leaders with quiet, gentle, and highly sensitive personalities go on an inner field trip to explore their unconscious biases so they protect their energy, stand on the side of justice, and become better ancestors. I'm so excited to share this conversation with Lisa with you. I hope that you enjoy it. Thank you so much, Lisa, for being here. Welcome
1: to the show.
0: I'm so happy to have
1: you. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm so glad that we're finally connecting. Yes. I know that we've been interacting interacting for months.
0: Yeah, months. Like months putting trying to put this together. Yeah. But I'm so yeah. happy that it's it's happening now. So thank you for for making the time and for being here.
1: Awesome. Yes. Thank you for having me.
0: So before we um, pressed record, in the green room, as you said, we were talking a little bit about how you are moving into your explorer. So is it the explorer that you're moving, the avatar of the explorer? So I was like, ooh, I'm going to save that question for when we start. And I wanted to start with that question first. So can you share what
1: that means, what's been going on. Yeah, it, um, the, uh, where do I begin? Um, so I went on tour. I went on a multi-city, uh, independently produced, patron-backed tour. Mm. And what that simply means is that my patrons who are in my exclusive community on Patreon, Because they, it's, and Patreon is kind of like crowdsourcing, but instead of just a one-time, instead of raising money for a one-time campaign, instead people contribute a few dollars a month every month until they stop their pledge. So since 2017, when I launched my community on Patreon, I've had a core group of individuals, (laughs) hundreds and hundreds of a core group of individuals contribute so much per month, so I've been able to uh, use what I was able to save up to finance this tour. And so I didn't have any sponsors. I didn't look or seek for outside funding. It all came from my patrons. So I went on this tour, Therese, and I went to a few cities across North America. And what I did is I organized a workshop, a full-day workshop, and brought the writing prompt live in the room so that we could work through it, because that's what I do. I create writing prompts to help unpack unconscious biases using reflective writing. And so when I went on tour, Therese, (laughs) I was going from city to city, so I I was on the road for two weeks going, and I was on the West Coast, and I came home for a couple weeks in Toronto, and then went back on the road for another week or two Uh, to hit a few more cities on the east coast and while I was doing that I was also filming my adventure with my smartphone and just capturing shots of what I was seeing and viewing and when I came back and I settled down and settled in for the holidays uh, Christmas holidays I started evaluating and looking at how can I do more of that how can I do more of, like, there was something that was so invigorating. So, so being in the room with my patrons and their their network of friends and colleagues, that was great because I saw the transformation happening in the room. And it was different because for the past few years, I have helped people with their self-discovery, but it was all virtual. So I'd release a new writing prompt. People would work through it with reflective writing and come back into the community on Patreon and leave a comment saying this is what happened to them. So to witness it live mm. and to see those emotions, like it was just like, oh my goodness, it was so beautiful. Because the tears that are coming up, the anger that's coming up in the room isn't rooted in what um, Dr. Robin D'Angelo calls white fragility. It was something else. And so to be and and see those emotions and see people feeling on the fields, it was so great. And then on top of that, I'm going from city to city and I'm just like, I'm enjoying it. Right. Because while I was on the road, I was, although I missed home, I didn't feel homesick. For some reason and then on top of that I'm, I'm i'm capturing film and i've been wanting to do filming and and, and a, a film a documentary since 2007 when i declared it in a mastermind group and so how can i do more of that and so that's when i start to realize that there's there, you know there's this love of adventure that lisa renee hall and i'm speaking about about myself in the third person <laughs> lisa, lisa renee hall just loves not 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 only the the aspect of self not only i um, going on a trek like going from city to city, but the whole aspect of using writing prompts to unpack our unconscious biases is figuratively like going on an inner trek mm. to discover what's deep within. So they're all related. and yeah, And so, yeah, I made a commitment that I'm going to do more of that. I'm going to do more of this exploration city to city. I'm going to do more filming. So I can satisfy those two needs.
0: Wow, that's really beautiful. And actually, as you came um, were speaking about that, what came up really strongly was um, the connection and I wonder if you've thought about that, the connection between having done having done that intensive inner work through journaling and asking yourself these deep questions. And then the ability to give yourself permission to actually, okay, I am going to go on this adventure. And (laughs) and also layered on that, how your identities, your multiple identities, um, especially your identity as a Black woman, Mm -hmm. um, layers on that in terms of giving yourself permission to take that adventure because yes. for black people, folks of colors, uh, uh, folks of color, indigenous people, leaving where you know going out and exploring is something that has been viewed as dangerous, right? It actually yes. was dangerous. It's still yes. dangerous. <laughs> yes. Let's you know just to be really clear. So how how do you think? um that has informed or has given you the courage or has the the connection between the the writing as well as now being the explorer
1: yes yeah it um i think so looking back when i started my journey of self-discovery and self-exploration uh, that was back in 2017, and I had actually started a process of waking early in the morning at 4:30 a.m. and I did that for 365 consecutive days. Week? Mm. Ow! <laughs> I don't even know, but um, I did that for 365 consecutive days. And when I first started, it was it was to write a my first book of fiction. And I had had this idea for a historical novel stuck in my head for a number of years. And so what inspired me and what sparked me to start writing was I I, I played the organ at a funeral and that's something I do. I get hired to play at numerous funerals as an organist. I'm a passive observer. I play Amazing Grace, you know, many times, and other hymns that may be favorite of the family and The Dearly Departed. The last one I played at was of a, and it was the youngest person whose funeral I played the organ at, and 21 years old, he died being a good Samaritan. And I remember hearing his father go to the microphone and I mean, after hearing so many eulogies and tributes, this one said by the father really stood out because he first started speaking calmly. And then he shouted in the microphone that his son was murdered and I snapped to attention and the entire church was quiet. There's something he said, he said that my son left music and I'm gonna spend the rest of my life, the father said, making sure that music gets out into the world. And that's when I realized that this son left a legacy. Mm. That even though he died so young, his father has something that his son has left behind. And so I asked myself, what am I going to leave behind? What's stuck in my head that needs to get out? And so a few days later, I woke up at 4.30 a.m. It was January 3rd, 2017, and I started writing. But as I was writing this this historical fiction, I wrote one chapter a day for 59 straight days. And it was on the 60th day that I had a professional setback, and I started writing about that. And I was writing explored. I don't know if that's where I was writing reflectively, you know, not editing myself, not censoring myself and just writing. And so on the 60th morning, I wrote reflectively about this professional setback. And then on the 61st morning, I did that again. And then I kept, now I started writing about me and my uh, stuff and the stories I believed about my social and biological identities. And in fact, Therese what what I what I gave myself the permission to do is to finally explore me. Mm. So it was no longer about exploring these characters that I was building for this historical fiction. I first needed to give myself permission to explore myself. And it was when I gave myself permission to do that and did that to exhaustion <laughs> for many, many, many months, that I started to help others do the same. And now that I'm here a few, few years later, looking back, it, you know, after exploring the person who is Lisa Renee Hall, I did that inner exploration and now I'm ready for the outer exploration. I, 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 I I unpacked how I show up in this world. So now it makes me ready to show up in the world no matter where I go.
0: And you can show up in in a way that is, um, I guess, conscious. Because, you know, there are a lot of people who travel. Um, and, of course, a lot of people with dominant identities who present, who are white presenting or white, people who travel and not really realizing, I think the dynamics and the, the, the power, right. The, the, the differences yes. in power when traveling and what that means and the historical context with the places that you're visiting and are you actually wanted here? And just so many questions, right. um, around that. So, going back to the work that you're, that you do and that you've been helping people do. I think it just makes them when they are ready to do the outer exploration, like traveling or going to a different place, it makes them more aware. It makes them more conscious. It makes them not violent, <laughs> right. you know, to people of color.
1: Right. Like I, I'm thinking about a group of young adults that went to some, some Oh boy, I can't somewhere in the east and they climbed a mountain and decided that they'd pull their pants down and moon. Oh gosh. And they were arrested because it was a sacred site. Or that that YouTube star, I can't remember his name either, but he went to Japan and uh, there's this forest in Japan where where people go and they commit suicide Oh, gosh. And he didn't even like this this kid goes out there and and decides that he's gonna film a body that he found in that forest and Share it with his YouTube audience. Oh, yes. I saw that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember his name, but um, You know just the, the insensitivity or or there's this uh, I just read the other day about this sort of tourism well, it's unofficial where um little kids are being sold into sex slavery for tourists that come from Europe and america and and canada and and why is that okay? You're exploiting a young child and it just, yeah, I, you pointed out something that's very important, which is that we need to bear responsibility for how we show up in the world. And by first unpacking our biases, using the art, using uh, reflective writing and writing prompts, my hope is that it helps us become more aware of the way in which we treat others as we tour and travel around the world like when, as a Canadian growing I was born and raised in Canada and so as a woman with dark skin I don't I wasn't raised to believe that I don't belong anywhere and also being raised by Jamaican parents they I, they, I wasn't socialized that way and so whenever I travel throughout Canada I belong everywhere I am everywhere, I don't fear being anywhere. However, I cross the border into the United States and even though I've done so multiple times throughout my entire life, I'm still aware that I'm a black person when I cross into the United States. And I don't know when, what, how, <laughs> I don't know. It, you know, it just, I'm hyper aware of my presence, because I'm also hyper aware that the United States has had different laws which have uh, prevented black people from being able to occupy any space. Mm. And so as i as I travel throughout the u s, you know i'm I'm just hyper aware of these things. I'm just really aware. And no matter how much unpacking I do, I still need to be sensitive to the dynamics of race and how it informs the United States history compared to Canada, where, you know, I'm, I'm painting it as this utopia, but at least, you know, my movements aren't as surveilled as it would be in the United States. So that's something I'm also aware of and conscious of too.
0: Yeah, thank you for naming that and for for saying that, because definitely, as in the green room, I was sharing with you that I spent many, many years of my childhood. Um, growing up, I would always go to Canada, and um, I have a lot of family that go there, and it's very different, like their experience, my family's experience, and you know my experience and my family who lives in the United States experience are very different however i can say is that you know people paint canada as as you said you know the utopia but they all have faced racism right yes. <laughs> it's different so you know when i hear people from here like oh we're just gonna go to canada i'm like <laughs> i'm like okay <laughs> that's that's literally i'm like i'm just like okay um it's just not it's not in the same way and sometimes um, so I don't want to minimize the micro, like the microaggressions. Like one of my right. aunts who lived in in Canada, she faced s- so much discrimination in getting a job as as a nurse. She was a nurse. Um, she faced a lot of discrimination in getting a job, and then once she had the job as well, and yes. you know, so that's a that's a whole other. That's a whole other story, but I, I really wanna thank you for naming that and saying that. Um, and that brings me, I'm actually gonna go back a little bit to sure. ask you the question. So how do you root deep? I feel like I may know the answer, but I'm, gonna you, <laughs> I'm going to let you answer that.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I cannot survive without a um, practice around reflective writing. I just cannot. <laughs> Yeah. cannot anytime I'm feeling like uh, like things are closing in I'm feeling chaotic most likely it's because I've gonna I've gone a number of days without reflective writing and I mean some people call it expressive writing which I which is terminology terminology I used to use I don't use it anymore because it um because most of the people in my audience are highly sensitive and introverted And so the idea of expressive writing doesn't seem to align with um, introverts. So instead I use the the term reflective writing and some call it, I've seen someone call it uh, restorative writing. Sometimes I'll even use the terminology exploratory writing, write to heal. Heel to write journaling, it's you know mindfulness writing, it's all the same. <laughs> it's the idea of, again, uh, as I had said earlier, of writing uncensored, unfiltered. And what I do is I wake each morning, but not at 4.30 a.m. anymore, but I do wake early. And what I do is I write, and I do so before the sun comes up. And there's something, there's something symbolic, there's something, there's some symbolism there. Because when I sit to write, it's not just about typing up my words or writing on a piece of paper, right? It's it's about a communion between myself and the divine and my soul. And so I simply record what my soul is trying to say and connecting that back to the divine and and my purpose that was created. F- for me by God. And then as the sun crests over the horizon, it, that's symbolic because it's, it's like as if I'm coming into the light, that my writing is helping me move from darkness or the unknown into light, which is now known. And if after the sun rises, I still need to I continue writing. Sometimes I can do it in 20 minutes and half or half an hour and I'm done. Sometimes it takes more than that. And so I honor what my soul is trying to do and say. And oftentimes I've had to go back and do reflective writing again the next morning, the same topic, the same theme, and just really release that. So that's how I root deep.
0: I just love that imagery that you share. Like I was seeing it in my mind, the sun coming over the horizon and you writing, it's like so poetic and beautiful. So,
1: and I, I tell you, like, sometimes I'll be sitting here, like I have my, my curtain drawn so I can see when the sun is coming up. And sometimes I'll be looking like, oh my gosh, I haven't finished my thought. Yet. Is the sun coming up yet? Is the sun coming up yet? Mm. <laughs> Again, it's Again, it's just the symbolism, the beautiful symbolism.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, everything that you're sharing, it's like also it's making it ceremony and ritual and infusing it with that. It's yes. it's not just like it's not because there are people like who can do something every single day
1: mm-hmm.
0: and yet it doesn't have meaning like it, it it's more of a chore or they're right. upset about doing it. Yeah. but the way that you're describing this is it's like there's I hear the giddiness and the happiness and the joy of of what this means to you and of course all everything that has unfolded since then of course it would unfold yes um, which is so beautiful
1: and and you know this right the writing reflective writing has taught me to think more in in like I already I'm already oriented because of who I am to think long term and long term is like 10 years from now 20 years from now but when it uh, you know I've come from a tradition that was like quick 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 fast 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 do it but now I think in one year increments so my my to-do list isn't finish by the end of the day and start a new one tomorrow my to-do list is let's get this done by the end of the year And then we create a new to do list for to do list for the following year, and so it's it's taught me to slow down and be patient. It's taught me the value of of um, sitting in stillness. That even when we're still, something is happening. And, and at the time of this recording, it's winter, and when I look outside and see the snow on the ground, it just looks barren and empty and like nothing's happening. But underneath the snow. Animals are stirring underneath the snow. The grass is rejuvenating for the upcoming spring season. And so, what looks barren and and even even the, the snow, as the sun peaks and 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 goes across the snow, it's like it looks like a little it looks like diamonds, and it's so pretty to look at. And so, what some see is stillness. So it's what some see is um, laziness or nothing's happening. The beauty is that in stillness, something is stirring to move us to where we need to go.
0: Yeah. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, it's through stillness that we're able to see and know what is next for us. And we live in a society, as you know, that we're conditioned to never be still, which is, of course, linked to capitalism and needing hyper productivity, and you're productive until you're di- you are die, or you are no longer valued. Um, so if you are someone who's at the margins, and, you know, you're disabled, or you are neuro atypical, or you're a mom,
1: <laughs> you're right. like,
0: no longer valued, right? Because you're not able to be hyper productive anymore. And what I love about what you you say is like something that I talk about, about living with the cycles, honoring our own cycles so that we can truly, I guess, enjoy life, right? Enjoy life, take in the moments and do the work that we were here to do, but also have the experiences. Like it's not only about the work, but truly be present for you know, the people that we love, the experiences that we want to have and mm-hmm. just show up in a, in a different way. And it's not the way that we're taught to show up.
1: Yeah. And when I came from the tour, there were a few conversations I had because when, you, when you do something that significant, then it kind of raises the profile and people start kind of peeking over and like, Hey, what's happening over here? So I had a couple conversations with, uh, a few conversations with individuals where, where we're exploring a potential partnership, and the what they were proposing—and this could be a, another conversation—but what they were proposing was so oppressive and predatory. Mm. It just didn't honor my uh, my primary value, which is independence. I started feeling closed in and trapped and confined, which is all the opposite of independence, and. For me, it was there was a there was a sense of rushing, like I had to make a decision before December thirty first, and it just that too felt so gross. Mm. And so, I had shared this with my my team of facilitators. I'd shared some of the details, and one of them said, uh, "Rachel, Rachel had said she said yeah." So I was asking them as I'm sharing this with you, sh- you know, share back with me some of the lessons. Because they're facilitators, they're going to get people coming to them for partnerships. And I want them to understand what it looks like when someone is introducing something that seems like a great idea, but is really oppressive and and so on, and meant to extract and plunder. And so one of my facilitators, Rachel, said, she said, my clue is when someone's rushing me to make a decision. That's when I know it's not a good deal.
0: Mm. Yes, for sure
1: not a good deal and so that's and because i'm in this habit of coming back to what you said i'm in this habit now of slowing down reflecting trying to look for what's best for lisa and that can only happen if i withdraw from the conversation and reflect then i'm able to choose what's right for me and that can't come from a place of rushing and hurrying And quick, 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 quick.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And um, one of the things for me that has slowed me down is having a child. (laughs) 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 You know, as you know, we had scheduled this a couple of months ago, and then I had to cancel to ask you to reschedule because my son got sick um and he was sick actually for almost a week at that time with a fever so everything had to get canceled for an entire week and um i know that you know even with a child there's so much pressure to push 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 regardless like Okay, just have them in another room, medicate them. Like I just couldn't do that. Right, Number one, right. he wouldn't allow that. Like he doesn't. He doesn't like to sleep, so he'd be coming in. But there's so much pressure to yes. go, 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 go. This has to happen. It needs to happen by this time. And a lot of times when we release that pressure, that allows flow. That allows us to know, oh. Is it is it really something I, I truly want to do? Is this right, and um. And that just brings up like industrialization yes. and how industrialization has always been about pressure and build 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 build, um, which of course now we are at a, we're in a global climate cl- crisis because of this, um, and many of other things. But I really see industrialization and overdeveloping land as that's that's a part of it (laughs) and the extracting of resources so i i want to go back to the question of what was there a dark night of the soul or a light night of the soul that led you to doing what you're doing now is there something that you can identify and that you're comfortable with sharing with us
1: Yeah, the, the, I mean, the first, I, I've been using writing as a means to, as a means of discovery, self-discovery, practically all my life. And I remember keeping diaries. There's one diary, as I was going through my own year of reflection in 2017, when I woke up early every morning to write, I found an old diary. And I looked through it, and it was um the date I think date I started in nineteen ninety four and stopped writing in nineteen ninety eight and it was a collection of my lament of the guys that I dated during that time and <laughs> when I read it, I was like, oh boy, I gotta get rid of this. I didn't even want to, like, I'm a historian. I come from a, like, I'm a historian. I'm all about archiving stuff, but this was something I did not want archived. You're like, this is not, I don't want this history. I don't (laughs) want this history. And it's because, because one of the, one of the sparks for me in starting this process of writing in earnest as a way of self-discovery and healing started in 2015 when I broke up with a guy who I thought was my boyfriend, <laughs> <laughs> that's a long story, but, and, and then when I described, and, and so my mom had met him and I had described him to, I mean, she met him and then he stopped coming around. So my mom asked me what was going on. So I, I shared with her some of the things that were rubbing me the wrong way. And that's when she said to me, oh, he sounds like your biological father. And it, that confused me because I don't have a relationship with him. But then my mom explained all the things that she was, um, had experienced with my biological father. And it was just the same. And I, and I was shocked. I was, I was surprised. I was disgusted that I could attract in a dating relationship a man that was the direct carbon copy of the father I don't have a relationship with. And so then this guy that I had dated, this was now the second guy in a row that um, showed up with the same characteristics as my biological father. So that was my clue to start writing. And and to be honest, (laughs) I wouldn't be here talking with you, Therese, if I hadn't dated that guy back, if I hadn't broken up with that guy so long ago. So I actually thank him. I wouldn't tell him to his face, but I I thank him for (laughs) the experience that he, 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 he put me through. Um, but that's when I started writing and I started seeing at more and more as I I continue to write and heal that aspect of myself, heal that, that part that's called fatherlessness. Uh, That's when I, um, found that diary. No, no. So I, I, I didn't find it right away. Uh, but it did take a couple more years because I th- I had written, I think of maybe about 60, 90 days straight. And I said, wow, I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. <laughs> and then it just didn't feel like I was. Like the, it, it felt like there was still more I had to do. And so when I started writing in 2017, at first it was to write the book, you know, it was like, I was avoiding and deflecting, <laughs> but it eventually led me to the writing of myself. And it was during that period that I found the diary. Was, it was April of that year long process, April of 2017, when I found the diary. And I was just like, no, 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 no. This can-. And I remember <laughs> jumping in my car and I had to go somewhere because I had to burn this book. Like it had to be burned. (laughs) I couldn't tear it. I couldn't shred it. I wanted it burnt up. So I jumped into my car and I'm I'm driving to some park, right? And so this is April, the grass is wet, so I'm okay. I'm not gonna set like a forest fire or something. And I finally get down by the lake and pull out the diary and it's windy. (laughs) It's windy. So I take out the diary and I try to light, and I take out some, some matches and I try to light, try to light, try to light, and the wind keeps keeps blowing it out. And even when, and even when I was driving there, at Therese, I was just like, I hope I don't get an accident. I can't, I can't get to an accident with this, with this, with this burden in my car.
0: <laughs> <So I'm bringing laughs> and then it. someone finds it, and, and then it's like, finds Oh it. my
1: gosh! <laughs> oh, it's the worst. So I finally get to the lake, and I'm trying to light the match, and then the wind is blowing it out. But finally, it lights. And I take a video of the ceremony, like everything in my life seems to be ceremony, but I take, but take, you know, I take a video of the ceremony. I watch this, this, this old aspect of Lisa Renee Hall burning, burning. And again, that was all part of the healing process. Mm
0: -hmm. So, In doing that, and in that reflective writing, have you been able
1: to heal fatherlessness? Yes, yes. And a big part of that is um, no longer being angry. And when I, part of my self-discovery and part of healing the fatherlessness is to think about my biological father and ask myself, one of the questions I had to ask my, I, I mean, I did meet him and we tried to have a relationship, but it, it just didn't work out. But one of the questions I had to ask myself, and this is one of the writing prompts that I offered to my patrons is one of the questions has to do with what are his positive qualities? And so I thought about that and I wrote through that and a lot of his positive qualities are mine. And then I asked, and then one of the questions is what is his um, not so positive qualities? And so I wrote through that. And then there's a question around what, how, how was your father raised that can give you compassion for the way that he showed up with you And so, again, these are writing prompts that I'm offering to my patrons to help them heal their fatherlessness. And now I'm using them again to heal mine. And as I thought about what his childhood could have been like, and that was actually the spark for me to start um, putting together my own family tree. So I know who's in who's in my family tree. And that's where the compassion start to build. Again, I'm not doing this to absolve my biological father of his choices, but it is to help me build compassion so that I release the anger and I release the rage. And then therefore the type of relationships that I have with men whom I date now become, now comes from a place of healing instead of that wounded hurt part of me that's looking for each man to show up like my father. But instead I realized that my father made his own choices. My biological father made his choices. This is what it was. This is the circumstances by which it happened. This is how he was raised, which probably informed how he would parent. And that's how I can free myself of that attachment to the anger and therefore attract much more healthy men.
0: I love everything about that. And I know that there's many people listening that are like, oh, I need to do that work. So I will definitely link to your Patreon. Um, and I'm a member of Lisa's community and mm-hmm. it's phenomenal. So I, I want to just add like, yes, it's completely worth it. Yeah. Join her Patreon and I'll link to that.
1: And it's it's one of the most inexpensive ways that you can start unpacking your unconscious biases and i love it because the way each patron shows up it's it's just beautiful it's just beautiful just to see oh my gosh i can't i can't even describe it but i feel so nourished whenever i go into that community and i'm seeing the breakthroughs i'm seeing the transformation i'm seeing the self-discovery and i'm seeing the commitment to unpacking one's unconscious biases for the long haul and this is a group in my community on Patreon who understands that this is not about checking off a check mark on the checklist <laughs> on the diversity and equity checklist. <laughs> this is not about, you know, silencing the critics by saying, yeah, but we did a we did one training, we did one workshop. So why are you still complaining? They understand that to be a better ancestor, you have to do this work of unpacking and taking responsibility so that the next generation operates in this world in a more healed way. Yeah, and it's and it truly is
0: lifetime work. I, I you know, I see this work, healing work, it's lifetime work. Of course, we come to we can come to a point where we're like, "Oh, yes, I've I've done a lot of this work, but it's layers to it's layers to onion. It's yes. the opening of a flower, so we're constantly being asked to go deeper and different situations will present to us that will give us that opportunity to do the work and do the work in a deeper way, which is why I actually love your circle agreements. <laughs> <laughs> Can we please talk about that? Yes, I, please. That's probably one of my favorite posts ever on Instagram. And I just thought it was brilliant, 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 brilliant. And I love how you were... It's just really clear what the circle agreements are. And um, mm-hmm. you have... An acronym which is no disrespect a- so I know we're not going to be able to go through all of those um, so I just want to hear about how you came up with this why it's important and um, and what you have seen in leading these especially when you were leading them live during your tour um, How have the circle agreements really helped people to unpack their unconscious biases?
1: So on Instagram, where I hang out, there was a question I had posed, and this was before I went on tour. And I asked women who, women of color, how they have been made to feel excluded from spaces that they enter. And Teresa, I think you might have submitted your response. I think so. And so response, and I I asked those who are not people of color to to refrain from responding. And so there was answer after answer and and response after response. And I looked and it's just like, wow, it's the same pain. It's similar pain, it's different, but it's similar pain, right? And it's, it's entering into a room and you being confused for the only other person of color in the room. Uh, some of the other things that were said is um, being asked, you know, where do you come from? Oh, the question was, how have you been made to feel unsafe in workshops where the majority of attendees are white? Tons of responses. Uh, people not greeting them, not saying anything to them, being completely ignored, um, name not being remembered, telling me that I speak well. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, sometimes be forced to do emotional labor or physical labor in the room or told I'm being low vibe for sharing my lived experience due to my intersectional identities, and so on and so on and so as I looked at that I said there's no way I want that showing up in any of my spaces no I don't want this because what ends up happening is this power dynamic where People believe that people of color that that come into these spaces and they need to be taught, they need to be rescued, they need to be saved when people of color just want to go into these spaces and learn the same things that you're learning and be safe and be safe (laughs) and not have to deal with your microaggressions and fragility and exceptionalism. Like I want to go into a workshop space and learn and then be able to have conversations and brainstorm, not be told what to do, not to be parented. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, this yeah, yeah, this is what I don't want. I don't want these things. And so as I continued writing out the words, I'm like, I always have to think of an acronym, Therese, because that's the way I can remember things. And so I'm like, what's the acronym here? What's the acronym here? And I was like, Oh, oh, I'm seeing it. No, it, it's disrespect. No disrespect. I was like, Yes, that's what this is. And then each word in disrespect stands for a particular Uh, a particular action that I often see people doing in workshop spaces. And it's been well-received. People are like, yeah, can I buy it as a poster? (laughs) So it's um, because wherever we gather, one of the ways to keep a room space or keep a room safe is to, uh, for example, the D in disrespect is distancing, no distancing, which is to emotionally check out no patronizing. That's the P in disrespect. That's where you try to teach the, per- like you treat a grown adult like a child. And oftentimes we don't at- we're not sitting there saying, can you teach me what to do? Can you coach me on what to do? Sometimes we just want to be in a space and just, just learn and not be patronized, not be exposed, ridiculed, criticized, and and please don't intellectualize my situation and, and so on. So that's where the community group the circle agreements came from. It came from witnessing what people of color are saying are happening in these spaces. And I want to make sure that I, as a facilitator on a multi-city tour, that I was going to honor each person that walked into that space. And for me to honor each person that walked in that space, I needed by, I needed agreements. I needed circle agreements and then I extended that and shared that with those who walked in and and except for one room one room um where someone was problematic it was the agreements were upheld and any time I heard any of these things the distancing the intellectualization the saving the ridiculing and so on I was able to stop it right there Hmm. so it's really helpful
0: yeah I just think that the, these circle agreements, I want to see this in every circle. <laughs> I want to see this in all spaces um, simply because when, if the spaces are going to be a diverse space, but even whether, no matter what space it is, we need agreements so that everyone can show up in a certain way, so that it can be a safe space, especially a safe space for people who hold marginalized identities. Um, So thank you so much for creating that and for sharing it. Um, I just thought it was really absolutely brilliant.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: So my next question is, What does it mean to you to be a visionary
1: woman or woman X? (laughs) Right. The the timely question I had just posted, I I have a post on Instagram where I talked about where the first line says, I'm not for everyone. And it's based on a t-shirt that I got from a friend of mine who, her name is Cindy, who joined me in New York when I did the tour stop there, and she brought me the t-shirt. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> so it has like, I don't know, 10 lines that says, I am not I am not for everyone. And I absolutely love that t-shirt. And so I had written that um, these are the people I'm not for. And part of that is um, people come into my space and they expect me to be a certain way. It, it, like. As an anti-bias educator, they expect me to be, you know, to show up this way in terms of energy, in terms of style. Like People come to my workshops and they're like, I never knew I could laugh so much while unpacking my, my biases. You know, because there's an element of playfulness that I bring into the workshop space into the workshop space because we need, as we're interrupting our unconscious biases, we need to also find moments to refresh ourselves and rejuvenate. And I believe that rejuvenation comes through dance, through play, through singing and so on. And so, yeah, so there, there, there are people who are not gonna align with my style and I'm okay with that. I'm really okay. And so part of being a visionary is to understand who you are for part of being a visionary is to be very clear who fits into your circle because not everyone can and not everyone should and if you're trying to attract everyone it means you are not being true to yourself because if you are being true to yourself you're going to piss off a few people and that's actually a good thing I had a client, um, his name is Mike, and he said to me once, he said, your goal whenever you walk into rooms is to piss off 50% of them. <laughs> I said, why? And he said, if you piss off 50, 50% of them, it means the other 50% will absolutely buy from you. They will follow everything you're doing. They will, they will become your biggest fans. And I've seen that now come true as I've moved into this work as an anti-bias facilitator and explorer and so it's been um yeah not you know people some think I'm supposed to be I don't know angry as I you know I'm supposed to chastise people and and really make them feel bad about their biases if they make a mistake I'm supposed to cancel them that um, I'm supposed to show up and go to marches and I don't know like you know but But as a visionary and a dreamer, I also recognize that those type of styles just don't align with me. I tried it and it didn't work. And I believe that for those of us who are highly sensitive and introverted and empathic and really, you know, we're deeply sensitive, not hypersensitive, but deeply sensitive that we need to find a way to unpack and to be activists That aligns with our unique personality, our gentle, tender, quiet personality, so that we are in this every day. I would because it's easy to burn out. (laughs) The burnout, right? Mm. Crazy. It's so you know I could go to the uh, march, and that will probably probably be the only thing I'll do all year because it'll take me you know ten months to over you know to to get over all the loud sounds, the hunger I felt while I was marching, the, the bright sun beating down my back you know it's just so i would prefer that people find a way that matches their style and again i'm not saying that those other styles don't work they do they're for someone someone responds better to another style and will not respond to mind to mine and that is okay my point here is all styles matter (laughs) And we need to find the one that aligns with us. And that's what a visionary means to me. Having the courage to show up as you are so that you have the most chance at affecting change.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And coupled with that question is, what does it mean for Black girls to breathe? What does that mean?
1: Hmm. To, To me, it means embracing my humanity. It means that If I wanna show up in this world as soft and tender, I should be able to do so. If I wanna be a punk rocker with, you know, shave off my hair, listen to punk all the time, (laughs) I should be able to do so. I think one of the saddest things is that within the black community, we see different expressions of our humanity as outliers that are deserving to be ridiculed. When in fact, being able to embrace the different aspects of what blackness is, that is true freedom. Freedom comes from accepting someone who, a black person who loves skateboarding and a person who likes going to church. Freedom comes from accepting a black person who, loves listening to alternative music and also the one who loves listening to gospel you know sometimes i, I take a you know, i use uber a lot when i travel and I'm, I'm conscious of what the driver has playing on their radio when i walk in when i when i sit in their vehicle some of them will have the news on others you know it's quiet nothing but then there's some who will change the station to like an r b one not knowing that I'm not really, truly a fan of r Okay, don't send me, don't send me any hate mail. <laughs> don't send me any... You're gonna get the hate mail now. <laughs> I appreciate the art form, right? But my favorite genres of music is alternative, it's hip hop, it's um, classical, you know, it's very eclectic. But no, this person made an assumption about my musical tastes when I jumped in their car thinking that what they were doing is being accepting when in fact they're treating me like part of a monolith. So I believe that black women can breathe when we can begin to accept each other and our layers and our complexities and nuances when we can see each other's individuals. Because if we as black women, as black people can see each other's individuals, then it means others will start to do so as well. And then the stereotypes around who we are just because of our skin color start to diminish. I'm snapping
0: like that's
1: yes, yes, yes,
0: yes. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's so powerful. And that's like a whole other episode. Like it everything is. that you said. It is. It's it's absolutely powerful. And you know, recognizing that we are not a monolith and what the and what true freedom is. And that's actually a question that I've been deepening in and asking people who are who are black, who are people of color, who are indigenous, what is freedom? What, what is true freedom? And yes, like you said, true freedom is being able to, to be able to be a full expression of who you are
1: yeah. opposed to
0: being a caricature or right. a stereotype. Like exactly. you have to be a stereotype because you are Black opposed to hmm. actual human being. Um, so thank you for naming all of that. And the last question I will ask you is... If there's a question, I'm going to go back. <laughs> Let me rewind that. Okay. The last question I will ask you is, what question have you wished that someone has asked you during an interview? And can you share that question and then answer it?
1: You know, the question I wish someone would ask me is, and no one has. <laughs> I'm telling you this. Nobody has. And so the question I wish someone would ask me is, was there a particular character in your historical fiction that triggered you into doing this work? Someone asked me, are you ever going to publish the historical fiction? I got that question once, but no one has asked me that. There was one character that I was developing in the historical fiction. Her name is Anu. Anu, yes, Anu, daughter of a king, daughter of a pharaoh, and as I was developing that character, it became more and more clear that she was actually me, and so even though it was a professional setback that moved me into unpacking Lisa Rinney Hall, it was actually this character that also became a trigger as well, because... What I could see is that Anu was really trying to fit in, but couldn't because she was an outsider and was experiencing her own microaggressions within the palace of her husband's um, because her husband was now king. And so she's facing all these microaggressions from those who held uh, stereotypical and prejudicial views against her people because she was the outsider and her i won't spoil it just in case the historical fiction comes out one day but her she the the way the story ends for her is is not happy and i actually cried when i wrote those last few chapters about her and i could actually see the scene like I, i envisioned that it would become like a like a mini series of some sort so i saw the scene where she has this conversation, the last conversation with her husband and he's trying his best to understand, but he has skin color privilege as well. And she's trying to help him understand and eventually she just, she says this one line and I I cried, Therese, I cried. I read it and I was just like, oh my goodness, so sad. But what I could see in Anu is this, this quest to be accepted, but to be accepted playing a part And I knew that if I continued on the path I was on of trying to fit in, like I tried to be, I remember I studied with all these coaches and I tried to be sophisticated. I tried to be powerful. I tried to be all these things. I tried to be, you know, and then I thought I was supposed to be sensual and, you know, wear my hair long and wear these gorgeous dresses that, you know, showed my arms. I thought it was supposed to be all those things, and I thought it was supposed to be, okay, no, okay, let's just be powerful. Let's take pictures of you, Lisa, when you're powerful. You know, you look like you're gonna take over the world. And and so I did all those things, and then I was like, okay, that's not working, that's not working. Let me be the the rebel. Yeah, I'm gonna speak with a harsh voice. I'm gonna be the (laughs) rebel rebel, I'm going to be the revolution, I'm going to be the misfit and that didn't work out for me either. And I was just like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm supposed to be like a Canadian and, you know, and, and tap into my upbringing where we're in the background and we just kind of like, you know, we have this group think mentality and every day, every person, you know, everyone's one And, and then that didn't work. And so it was finally during the process of writing and seeing what happened to that character. Anu, I started to, I I decided that I'd become nobody. And it was in that process of becoming nobody that I finally found me.
0: Powerful. That is so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I love that question. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing all these wonderful gems in this interview. It was so beautiful to connect with you. I really appreciate you. And thank you for sharing your wisdom.
1: I enjoyed it. Thank you for providing this space so that I can share.
0: Thank you for listening, beloved. I'm personally inviting you to join our free podcast community over at embodiedblackgirlpodcast.com where you'll receive a beautiful bonus that includes one of my favorite meditations and a powerful affirmation. And if you love this episode, it would mean so much if you shared it and left a written review. It helps folks find us and lets us know what's resonating with you. And of course, be sure to subscribe. Thank you to Beautiful Chorus for our gorgeous theme song and thank you for being here. I'll talk to you soon.